Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. We step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains, the home of the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Nothing uh, nothing but beautiful, man. Uh, great, great weather. Beautiful day. A little cool night. Uh, getting a little fall in here. Feels wonderful. Yeah, a lot of folks from across the country are probably saying, stop rubbing it in, Ron. So you you got perfect conditions there in the Smoky Mountains and in the mountains, and it's going to get even better. And we're still living summertime in most of the country. So anyway, hey, but it's it's cool to be there, and I know you're enjoying yourself, and you have an opportunity to get out occasionally. I see your your videos on Facebook where you've got a beautiful stream or mountain in the background. So you're living the life, right? Oh yeah, man. Uh, made a few trips up into the mountain, man, into Brutus territory. Actually. Uh, uh, went to Grotto, Grotto Falls and uh, and uh, the place the Indians called the Thousand Tears, the drips, the Thousand Drips. Uh, really saw some uh, spots at which Brutus uh, went to himself and uh, just really, really had a good time. And uh, like you said, I've been doing a few uh, videos from those locations. And wow, it's just a beautiful place and beautiful part of the country to live in. Yeah, and so you you just can't call it work, but I know you, and you don't stop working. So you're 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 doing it right, stud. Hey, by the way, there's something really important that we want to talk about before we get into the show today, because the Studcast is a valuable commodity, and it's coveted by other podcast companies, obviously. And some folks may know a little bit about this, but therefore, stud, you have decided to make some changes by taking control independently of your own podcast. And beginning next Tuesday, one week from today, next Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, look for episode number 217. This episode is number 216. Next week, beginning with episode number 217, look for it wherever you find your studcast, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and of course, TNStud.com, and we're going to be adding tons of other podcast locations in the next couple of weeks, so you'll be able to find us anywhere, but the real key, Stud, look for episode number 217 beginning next Tuesday, the 21st of September. 
That's correct. And, uh, you know, I, I'm real uh, happy to uh, finally have uh, total control of what I do. And um, really looking forward to it. Uh, fans, I think, uh, if you have problems, obviously, get in touch with us. Get in touch with me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, wherever my social media sites are. And uh, we'll get you hooked up to where you can find it. But there should be no changes. It's just you have to look for number 217. Everything else is already there. So uh, number 217 is the key. And that will start next Tuesday on the 21st. Hey, I think this is a great move for you. And when have you not been in control of everything that you do? So, I mean, Well, you know, I, most of the time I always have been. And yeah. uh, from this point on, I will be so far as my own studcast. And Super Studcast. And uh, speaking of the Super Studcast, Dave, I'm not going to do another Super Studcast this month. I was thinking about trying it, but uh, I've just not had the time to get it done. So I uh, just want to inform everybody that there won't be another Super Studcast this, this coming month. And uh, But I will do my best to get back and have one started in the month of October. Yep, so hopefully those Super Studcasts are coming back soon, and more details on that as we get closer. All right, so Stud, what is happening on the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel? That thing continues to hit hit new milestones every week, and you, you just hit another one on subscribers. Yeah, yes, we did. Uh, we just went over another magic number as far as subscribers, and heck, all kinds of things are happening on there, Dave. Uh, our first southeastern sweet spot that uh, we put up uh, just about a week ago. Uh, it featured a pretty much unknown feud between the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, in 1982. And they had moved from the Georgia Territory and wanted to come into the southeastern territory. Obviously, we brought them in. And that first sweet spot, man, featured a cage match in Alabama between two of the three Freebirds. And uh, that was Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. And that historic match also involved Joe LaDuke and involved the original sheep herders, Jonathan Boyd and Luke Williams. And, uh, and it ended up in the dressing room of Michael Hayes uh, following one of the wildest cage matches in history <laughs> and uh, leading to an unknown future for the two remaining free birds. Actually, they are going to go back to Georgia. And, uh, and I think they're going to put their, uh, put their act back together again in Georgia. But, uh, now, we were working with the Georgia Territory. Basically, they wanted to come stay in the southeast for a little bit, and then uh, they wanted to go back to Georgia. We sent them back, and uh, this is just a piece of history, man, of which uh, tremendous cage match between these two guys. Oh, uh, definitely a significant piece of history on tape, and you can see it. And I, I've seen it. I checked it out, and I thought, wow, this is so cool between Terry Bam Bam Gordy and, of course, Michael P.S. Hayes. So I can't wait for the second Southeastern Sweet Spot, and that is going to be coming soon, as you said. You also now have the first five USA TV shows on YouTube in the sequence they were produced from a new territory filled with some fantastic stars. Yes, uh, that's correct, my man. And uh, USA Wrestling was a company I formed in 1988 after selling Continental. And this TV shows, these TV shows from USA have stars like the Bullet, Bob Armstrong, the Mongolian Stomper, Terry Gordy, uh, Bill Dundee, Buddy Landell, uh, the Riches, Johnny and Davey, and eventually Tommy, uh, Scott Armstrong, uh, legendary Ron Wright, 
Moondog, Hector Guerrero, many more, man. It's uh, really was a tremendous crew with that USA Wrestling. And uh, Gordon Soley and I were the commentators. And uh, at this point, it was one of the best TV productions in the world, no doubt. And the new one of these TV shows is being released every Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, you don't even have to look for it. Uh, you're going to get your bell rung if you're a subscriber. <laughs> and then when that bell goes off, you know that that uh, new TV show is up. So every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, there's a new USA TV show put th- on that YouTube channel. I think a lot of folks would agree. Gordon Soley, just the greatest of all time as far as announcers, he's like a comfortable chair during this entire this entire series of USA Wrestling shows that of course as you said you co-host with gordon it's so awesome to see gordon and then uh, listen ryan you don't do a bad job with commentary yourself well thanks man you know i'm in uh i learned a little bit in the, <laughs> in the years in the business so you know uh, boy, it's pretty hard you're sitting next to gordon Soley. Uh, you, you gotta work man you, you better you better be thinking pretty pretty sharply or you're gonna you're gonna get left behind Absolutely. All right. So y'all check that out for sure. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube is where do you go? Where you go to find this treasure trove of old school wrestling? Subscribe now if you have not done so already. Make sure you tell your friends about it and where they can find the finest old school wrestling anywhere. And Ryan, listen, dude, the classic 1978 Southeastern TV show from Knoxville on the channel. In its entirety, it's there too, plus the great Rewind recall shows with you and Les Thatcher. I kind of like the way that the two of you are breaking it down on each of those shows just days after they air. You guys are doing a lot of stuff that's never been done before on YouTube, and I'm not aware that any point that the creator and producer of these tremendous shows is... Is and and reviewing them also years after their production. So I think this is kind of a one of a kind situation. Yeah, I, well, I'm 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 positive that it is. A matter of fact, I mean, uh, there's nobody out in the '70s producing shows in the '70s and '80s that are going to show those show in sequence and, uh, and then sit and uh, review them. And I really enjoy those shows, those review shows, because. You're able to go into a lot of things other than just the wrestling matches themselves. Uh, you know, you get the history of the wrestlers, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff that the fans are really intrigued about. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing those, and we normally do those about three or four days after that TV show comes out. It's going to get that review. And, uh, you know, and we're in just the beginning of this day. Southeastern and Continental TV shows are going to be coming soon. They're going to also be in sequence they were produced in. And I think Southeastern Rewind is going to become the premier old school channel for YouTube wrestling. Oh, no doubt. And listen, we're going to talk more about that on this studcast. But today we're also going to be focusing on the first week in September of 1977 and this remarkable story of the oldest and largest professional wrestling family on the planet. So... Stud, where are we riding to today? Well, man, we're going back in time, Dave. Uh, we're going to, uh, back to when Southeastern Knoxville Wrestling was on fire, man. 77, 78. Uh, wow. And uh, we got to cover uh, a lot a lot to cover today, Dave. Uh, this is, uh, I don't think there's going to be any today's training in this studcast because hmm. there's so much that I want to cover today. And uh, 
So we may have a full stud cast with them. We're going to start with the card, the September 2nd, 1977. We're going to really dig into that TV that promoted it. We're going to give you the results of the card, and we're going to give you attendance from that event. And, and if we have any time left after that, I'm going to answer a learning tree question. Okay, stud. So I'm going to I'm going to set the dial on the wayback machine. Uh, let's go. Let's go back on this historic card. Friday night, September second, nineteen seventy-seven, at the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. So who was on this card? Well, it opens up with a uh, guess who? Roy Lee Welch, first match. But this time he's against a guy that's uh, really become a star in the sport, Dutch Mantel. Uh, so that's a tremendous opening match right there. Ricky Gibson is in the next match with Jerry Stubbs, who is in his own right becoming a star at this point. Uh, third match is my brother, Robert Fuller, against the great Aussie, legendary Aussie Al Costello. Uh, Tony Charles is going to face off against the pro again in the fourth match on this card. And the last time it was the pro was going to have to unmask if he lost. He barely kept from losing. And this time, this match, Tony Charles is putting up his hair. If he loses, he's going to shave his head. So uh, then the new <laughs> Southeastern tag champion, Joe LaDuke and Bob Armstrong, who won the championships, the last stud cast, were giving a return match to the former champions, Mr. Knoxville. Ronnie Garvin, obviously, and Bob Orton Jr. And uh, obviously they have their manager, Al Costello. The belts were at stake. This is a return match for the championship. And, you know, I'd, I'd, last week I'd, I'd lost pretty much everything I put up the week before last week. Uh, you know, I lost my $5,000. I lost my TV trophy. Uh, and, you know, to get Gorgeous George to give me a last ch championship match, I pretty much put too much on the line. And uh, so uh, I wanted to do that because I wanted to have that belt when Harley Race came to town because whoever is going to be uh, carrying that belt when Harley arrives mm -hmm. is uh, going to be the man that gets the shot. Mm -hmm. So Gorgeous George Jr., he had agreed to a non-title match this time with me. You know, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to have another title match, obviously. But this time he says, yeah, I'll just give you a, a non-title match. And uh, – but he wasn't aware that the Southeastern officials had two stipulations, two special stipulations that they were thinking about adding to this match hmm. after he signed for it. Okay. So uh, spill it. What were those two stipulations, Ron? Well, you know, Dave, uh, you better rein in Mr. Pickles a little bit. You know, I mean, uh, every story's got that buildup and, uh, come on, bro. Believe it or not, man, you know, uh, that's kind of what storytelling is all about. So we're about to discuss this TV to promote this card, and I'm going to get to that match. But it involved a little intrigue. In fact, quite a bit of intrigue. And that's all going to play out during this one-hour TV show uh, that we're about to talk about. And uh, it's the day after I got robbed for my 5000 my TV trophy, and I actually <laughs> got robbed of the Southeastern belt, which I should have won mm. in that match. Hmm. All right, so let's get to those special stipulations and the TV show that creates it as well. After what you gave up last match for the chance to get that belt and a shot at the world championship, I can't wait to find out what's up for this one in this week's match. So how did, how did the TV show open? Well, it opened with Les, 
telling everybody what was on the card for that day, as usual. And then when the cameras backed away from the close-up that they always did with the opening of the show, uh, and the big set behind them became filled with that big, huge still shot, it was of me on top of the stomper for the pin. And uh, gorgeous George was caught in midair, jumping off the top rope on my back. Hmm. Uh, obviously, it was a handicap match, but I wasn't supposed to have to wrestle both of them at the same time. And it had been a regular tag situation for them, and I was had no partner. But uh, at the end of the match, that's kind of what obviously was happening. So when the cameras expanded the shot, there was gorgeous George Jr. sitting next to Les, and he had a handful of $100 bills, counting it. Now, Stomper was behind him. He was wearing the Southeastern belt, the big old TV trophy that I had had the week before, or, and I actually had it the night before, uh, sitting on the desk right there in front of Stomper, and he's behind the, the TV trophy and behind the gorgeous George, and he's pumping his metal truck shock, man. Got a big grin on his face, too. They're living the high life. They've had a big Friday night, man, at my expense. So let's ask Gigi, what was happening? He said, what's happening in this photo behind us? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Gigi didn't answer the question. Instead, he asked Les a question, you know, and as he continued to count his money, he asked Les, uh, when was the last time, Les, that you counted out $5,000 and $100 bills? You know? <laughs> Had a big grin on his face. Yeah. You know, him and the Stomper are really, really loving the fact that, uh, that they've, uh, they've really uh, put me in a bad position. So Les pushed on, man. He didn't give up. He asked again for Gigi to explain what was happening in the photo behind him. And again, Gigi ignored him, just like he did the first time. Uh, but this time he responded by guessing, you know. He said, you know, Les, I guess you've probably never counted out $5,100 bills in your entire life, have you? <laughs> so, you know, and, and Les didn't much <laughs> like it, you know, but... Uh, Gigi continued, he, and he followed that with a huge laugh between him and the stomper. And he even looked over his shoulder at the big man, man, standing behind him. And uh, both of them were really grinning, man, and <laughs> had themselves a little laugh. But Les wasn't impressed, and uh, and he asked the director, obviously, to back up the video at this point. Obviously, he ain't going to get an answer from Gigi to where I had covered the stomper. And now it was for, it would have been for a pinfall. It would have been to win the match. And then he asked uh, Gigi to join him in watching how he, both he and his stomper, got a victory over one guy, just Ron Fuller. And uh, and you got it, and he just came out and said it, you got it illegally at that, didn't you, George? You know, and he called for the tape to be run. Hmm. So Gigi never even looked at the monitor in front of him with the match in progress. He instead ignored the video, and he asked Les, why I had never polished the TV trophy before bringing it to the ring the night before. I mean, he's all over the place, any place but uh, watching what's going on in the video. And then he responded with how bad he and his stomper felt about my losing my money, $5,000, and the TV trophy, all in one match, you know, and that I would never be getting another title shot again, and that would automatically end any chance for me to win the world's championship title of Harley race, because obviously if I don't have the Southeastern title, I'm not going to get the shot at Harley and you don't get the shot. You certainly can't become champion. 
So while all this was going on, the video showed how the referee never saw Gigi jump from the top rope on my back. He had been bumped and was down. The fact that uh, he was the illegal man on the outside of the ring, Gigi I'm talking about, when he climbed the top rope to jump in my back, it showed the referee finally regaining his composure and crawling over to count me out after Gigi put the stomper on top of me. And then it showed the ref getting my cash from the ring announcer and giving it to Gigi. And uh, it also showed the stomper running to the dressing room with his hands on his ears to escape the roar, man, of the crowd, which they were extremely unhappy. And, and finally, it showed Gigi surrounded by policemen carrying the cash and the TV trophy to the amphitheater dressing room. Not a single word from Gigi regarding that entire videotape. So let's ask Gigi if he wasn't ashamed of himself and his stomper for the way that they had stolen not only the match and the belt, <laughs> but my $5,000 and the TV trophy. <laughs> and uh, Gigi, they, you know, he continued. They're having a ball, him and the old stomper. And, uh, you know, so he laughed again and he said to Les, uh, we do feel sorry for anyone as ignorant as Ron Fuller. You know, I mean, how could a man be stupid enough to suggest a match such as this? Uh, against both of us. He said, uh, you know, I could have beat him by myself. How's he going to beat me and the stomp? And then to prove how bad we feel, he said, I'm going to show my, my remorse by allowing him a final match against my stomper, but it's not going to be for the championship, uh, but I'll give him one more try at my stomper. So uh, this belt, he said, <laughs> pointing over his shoulder at the belt that was wrapped around the stomper's waist, he said, it's much too important now with Harley Race only five, three weeks away. He said, it represents the road to the National Wrestling Alliance world title. And my stomper and I are riding that wonderful road right now. And we're going to ride it all the way to the 10 pounds of gold. So, and he ended with this saying, son, you know, the self-proclaimed Tennessee stud will have his last match with my champion next Friday night, but he will never get another title shot. So the crowd didn't like any of it, obviously, and they were booing some during all of it, but they really started to boo at this point. So, so it was Les's time to turn the tables on old Gigi, and uh, Gigi started to get up to leave the set, but Les reached up and grabbed him by the shoulder, and he kind of guided him back down into the chair, and the studio stopped booing, and they began to buzz a little bit. They, they could see something's coming here. <laughs> so Les was obviously upset. And he spoke sternly to Gigi, uh, which, you know, he didn't do that to many heels, but uh, there were occasions that he would talk pretty sternly. And they told Gigi that the Southeastern officials were very upset with what had happened the night before, that they had told him before the show started today that he was to inform you, talking to Gigi, before you left this set today, that there were going to be two changes in the Stompers match with Ron Fuller set up for next Friday night. So Gigi, yeah, he, he tried to interrupt immediately, you know, uh, you know, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, but Les stopped him in a very stern manner. He told him, be quiet, listen. So Les continued. He said, I've been informed to tell you that the first of these two stipulations now added to your Stompers match next Friday night. You'll be told the second one later in this program today. So Gigi again raised his voice to complain about what was happening, but Les stopped him cold. 
Let's continue. For now, this is the first change in the match. To prevent any interference by you in this next match, like you did in last night's match, you're going to be handcuffed to Robert Fuller next Friday night. Mm. <laughs> so Gigi exploded, obviously, and so did the studio audience. But they didn't explode in booze, man. They were happy. And Gigi's day was turning a little sour. The stomper grabbed his manager from behind, and he started shaking Gigi. You know, like, you got to say something. What are, what's happening? What are you going to do? And, uh, you know, so Gigi began to scream at Les, uh, something about that they can't do this to us. There's nothing, you know, they can't do that. You know, so Les paid no attention. And he calmly ended the segment, the opening segment of the show, by throwing it to the ring announcer, Phil Rainey, for the first live match of the day. Phil announced the two wrestlers <laughs> in the ring. Uh, Gigi pointed his stomper toward the ring, and that was all it took, man. The stomper charged the ring from the set. Wow, he just went roaring into the ring. And poor old Phil Rainey that was always horrified at him. He almost fainted when he saw him coming. <laughs> Phil couldn't get out fast enough, man. Whoa. And the stomper was on fire, man. He was obsessed with total destruction now, man. He was really, really mad. And he attacked both. And uh, and he wouldn't stop uh, stomping on those two unlucky young wrestlers, man. <laughs> he was soon joined by Gigi at ringside. And <laughs> Gigi was just standing there pushing him to be more violent. No, don't pin him yet. Stomp him again. Stomp him some more. Stomp him again. Wow. When he finally pinned both of them, the young man had to be carried from the ring. Holy cow. I mean, that's a crazy way to start the show, Stud. But, man, that's a good way to start the show. You definitely got their attention from the very top. So the Stomper and Gigi going crazy and actually throwing the fans a bone. Hmm. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Les threw him a little bit of a bone, the fans a little bit of the bone, and uh, and it obviously made the Stomper and Gigi go a little crazy, and uh, it got everybody in the building, Dave, uh, ready for the fireworks, man, to come in this show. And so I went to the set with Robert for the first interview, and he had a pair of handcuffs with him, you know. So, uh, uh, so we had some laughs with the studio crowd about it not being the first time Gigi had been handcuffed. <laughs> we didn't know that was the case, but we said it certainly can't be the first time that hoodlum's been handcuffed. You know, <laughs> we told everybody watching that before the TV was done today that there was another surprise coming for Gigi and his stomper. <laughs> so it was time for the second match of the show. The new Southeastern Tag Champions that had won the title the night before. Uh, they hit the studio, man. Bob Armstrong and Big Joe the Duke, man. And, uh, they wore their belts into the ring. And wow, the celebration just went crazy. Fans just really loved these guys. And they took that already fired up studio, man, to the next level. Uh, Gigi, during early part of this match, he returned to the set. And, uh, and he started demanding to Les. To, uh, to know what's the second stipulation for this match, you know, and Les told him, hey, you, you need to leave the set, you know, and uh, you'll find out later in the show about, about what's in store for you. So after the new champions, uh, first TV victory, they joined Les at the set. They watched their win of the tag titles from the night before. The fans watching on three monitors never stopped screaming for them, you know. You would have thought it was the first time they had seen this video. But probably 90% of those fans had been at the matches the night before. And they were still screaming like they'd never seen this, the video. 
So LaDuke and Armstrong left the set. They went into Studio B, and the former tag champions joined Les at the set. Al Costello took the reins during that interview for the, the former champions, and uh, he started complaining how the belts were stolen the night before from his men and uh, that they were chomping to get their belts back and that his men had been unbeatable for three straight months without a single loss. Mm. And it was bound to happen sooner or later. He justified it in his own mind. And uh, he said that this loss was only going to make them better as a team. And he promised that they were going to regain the Southeastern tag belts the following Friday night, they weren't going to not be champions long. And that these small-time Southeastern belts, they're just a stepping stone, he said, to where I want to take these boys to the world tag team belts. <laughs> so Joe and Bob had a different take on what had happened the night before. They said they had beaten a very good team in the middle of the ring because they were a better team. That <laughs> 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 every time they got in the ring together, he, Joe and Bob, they got better, that they were looking forward to defending the newly won belts the following Friday, and they expected to double the three months undefeated run of mm. Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. Now, the fans loved them, man, and they let them know it, man, at the end of this little interview. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So listen, I think this is a perfect time. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got the personality profile. But before we do take the break, another reminder about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right. This studcast will continue in a moment. And we come back with the personality profile right here stay with us the stud has become very busy trying to protect his stud cast and super stud cast he wants to continue doing both there were no super stud cast in august or september he set a goal to produce the next super stud cast in october of 2021 he appreciates every one of his patrons and listeners he apologizes for not having the control or time to keep them going as he always has. He is presently fighting to get control of his stud cast, and when that battle is won, he will return with his super stud cast. Please be patient. His goal has always been to make his fans happy. And thanks from the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. All right, everybody, welcome back in. David Summers and the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's another stud cast, and thanks a lot for hanging out with us. All right, stud. Again, another reminder about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, ring the bell, get reminders on when these incredible stories and these incredible videos in wrestling are going to be dropped on YouTube. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. Let's get right to it. Personality profile. Tell us what's going on. Well, let's have the second conversation of the show here. Uh, this one is done live. Uh, this is the second time in this TV show that he's going to talk with gorgeous George Jr. Uh, the stomper comes out for the profile. They're sitting in Studio B, which is right next to where the studio audience is. Uh, they're very close. They can actually see everything. And uh, so uh, Les uh, starts this conversation with George again. The stomper pacing, man, back and forth behind him. Uh, obviously, they've learned that, uh, <laughs> that George is going to have to be handcuffed to my brother. And uh, Stomper's a little concerned, probably, about the wonderful day they were having falling apart at this point. 
So this conversation is much more contentious than the first one they had had in the show. Uh, Gorgeous George demanded to know what other hidden news was waiting for them before the show was over. Uh, you know, he promised that uh, nobody was going to put him in handcuffs, that he was no criminal, that his father, the great gorgeous George, would have been so humiliated to witness what was supposed to happen to his son the next <laughs> Friday night, you know, handcuffed, you know, to another wrestler, you know. And he said his stomper was ready, as always, for anything the Fuller brothers could do. But, you know, he did not like the fact that he was going to be handcuffed. So every time the studio crowd erupted during the conversation, Stomper always, now at this point, covered his ears instantly. Unless for the first time since Stomper had shown a problem with his crowd, with crowd noises, he asked Gigi point blank, what was the problem? What's the problem with your Stomper's ears? And Gigi well, he, he wasn't there, there to answer Les's questions. Uh-oh. He hadn't le- answered one for him all day. Uh-huh. So he told Les to mind his own business. He said, and if you wanted to run your mouth, he said, then you ought to tell me what else the Southeastern officials have in mind for the following Friday night in my non-title match, my Stomper's non-title match with Ron Fuller. So when Les refused to tell him anything more, Gigi got up and he left the set. The crowd was intentionally driving the Mongol crazy the whole time, booing as much as they could. And uh, both of them were ready to go anyway. <laughs> and the stomper had both of his hands over his ears as they left the studio. It was one of the shortest personality profiles in Southeastern history. I mean, uh, it wasn't what they wanted to hear. Mm. And Les uh, <laughs> wasn't getting the answers that he wanted either. <laughs> so the show's momentum, however, continued, man. Another red-hot heel, man, the pro, uh, kept the studio crowd roaring, man. He's on the third match of the show. And he was even more violent than usual. Uh, And he put his opponent to sleep, as he had been doing. And he couldn't even wait for the referee to raise his hand before he jerked his young opponent, uh, who was uh, out uh, in the sleeper hole and laying on the mat, jerked him up and uh, put him back in the sleeper hole and started ragdolling him, man, all over the ring, his normal routine. And then uh, Gigi had begun, he returned again to the set during the course of this short match to demand Les tell him what's going to happen next Friday. And Les told him to go away, Gigi. Get out of here, basically. (laughs) And again in the ring, the referee reversed the decision, just as he had two weeks earlier in the pro's last TV match. So the pro had lost two straight television matches in a row uh, by being disqualified. He had his opponent beat and then got disqualified. But pro didn't care. He was becoming obsessed, man, with getting the win over Tony Charles. And uh, he wanted it big time in this upcoming match because Tony had agreed to put his hair up. If, uh, if he lost, he was going to cut his hair. And, uh, boy, that's all it took, I guess, to, to fire the pro up, man, for his match on TV. And he went out there and overdid it again. So these two guys had the next interview. And uh, they swapped some very harsh words in the next interview segment about their upcoming match. The pro had barely escaped losing his match, his mask the night before, because if he lost, he was going to have to take his mask off the night before. And he got saved by the bell at the 30-minute mark. Uh, Tony Charles had just nailed him with one more big spectacular throw and uh, was covering him 
and the bell saved him. So Tony Charles admitted that in his entire career, he had never been in a match that he risked his hair. And uh, that was pretty common over in uh, Europe and in England. You know, they didn't have hair matches and things like we did in the U.S. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I knew that was true. And uh, these two, were they were giving Southeastern fans some of the best wrestling matches ever. Wow, they were just tremendous in the ring together. So I was in the last match of the show against a very big guy from the Memphis Territory. Uh, his name was Plowboy Frazier. Uh, big, huge guy. Um, about my height, but he probably outweighed me by 100 pounds. <laughs> he was a monster guy. Good monster Lord. Guy. Wow. You know, he was a good 6'8 and, uh, and probably uh, close to 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I was able to put the fuller leg lock on him, but it took me about 15 minutes, uh, you know, and it wasn't an easy win for me, and it kind of left me gasping for air. <laughs> and as soon as I hooked him in the fuller leg lock, though, boy, he started screaming immediately. And a lot of guys did because they knew there's no getting out of it. And they know that I could break their leg if I needed to or I wanted to. And uh, But it left me still on my back and uh, pretty much helpless because, uh, you know, we're both on our backs and our legs are tangled up together above us. And suddenly, while I'm in that position, here comes the stomper man into the studio. And he's, he's coming right into the ring. And he stomped me off the toehold. Uh, but I still was able to get to my feet this time. He hmm. wasn't able to do to me what he had done to me uh, a couple of times before. And the studio crowd, they came to my defense. And all they had to do was just start that roaring. <laughs> and boy, when they did, and they did immediately, as soon as he stomped me, they started screaming at him. And uh, that roar sent the stomper's hands up to his ears. And boy, that's all I needed, man. I started working on that midsection and, uh, but here was Gigi. He was coming to the ring, too, right behind the stomper. And uh, he was headed up into the ring, and my brother cut him off. Rob still had the handcuffs <laughs> that he had had in the first interview, and he just whipped that handcuff on one of Gigi's wrists, and he clamped the other end of the cuff on the turnbuckle of the <laughs> bottom rope. There was old Gigi shackled on the outside of the ring. <laughs> so, so Robert began to kick him. In the rear end, as the crowd man basically exploded. <laughs> Rob's kicking him in the, Rob's kicking him in the butt. And the, yeah. and the stomper, once the crowd exploded, the stomper couldn't stand it anymore. His hands were over his ears. He just ran to the dressing room and he left him. <laughs> you know? So I rolled out of the ring. And, uh, and me and Rob took turns kicking GG in the ass. <laughs> with the with the AWOL stumper. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Our stumper was gone and boy, we got to kick some booty, man. And, uh, <laughs> and the fans, boy, they were fired up all day long, but man, they really got fired up. This was, they were really into it. And the policemen, we had a policeman there for every TV. <laughs> right. For crowd control, if you ever needed a policeman. Yeah. And he ended up coming to the ring. And, uh, and he it was very polite, and he says, uh, hey, guys, would y'all would stop? Please stop. <laughs> we were just taking turns, but, busting that Gigi's butt. And, uh, you know, so then he reached over, and he took his handcuff keys, and he released Gigi. Oh, my God. And then Gigi ran to the dressing room, man. And that the crowd's delight. Boy, they really loved it. 
Oh, that, yeah, that had to be one of the best moments ever on a Southeastern TV show. And you had to have some huge ratings off that, too. So, I, I mean, what do you do after that? How do you follow something like that? Well, well, we're going to follow with that last interview in the show, man. Uh, you know, Stomper and Gigi, uh, they had made it back. Uh, they had a two-minute break there. Thank goodness, sir. They probably wouldn't have gotten there. But they made it into Studio B. And Rob and I were at the set with Les, and a policeman had given the handcuffs back to us, and uh, he had gone on back to his post over by the by the, uh, the entrance and exit to the studio. So Gigi, he couldn't wait, man, to let us go first for the interview, and he started screaming about the humiliation of not only being handcuffed to the ring post, but having two men kicking me from behind. <laughs> You know, so the fans were just laughing and screaming about it. And it, it was more it was more than he could stand, man. Uh, you know, and he was acting like there was nothing worse that could happen on this day. And I think he said something like, you know, what worse could happen on, on this day? And Les just broke in from the set with Rob and I. I mean, Gigi had opened the door and he said, uh, so he told Gigi, he says, uh, yeah, he says, uh, I believe there is something worse in your day. He says, uh, there's something still to come that uh, that might make uh, your day even worse. And the studio got quiet. I mean, they slowed down. They wanted to hear, oh, wait, wait a minute, this must be the second stipulation. Uh-huh. So that's what Ness, Les announced. He said, that, by the way, the other stipulation for the match next Friday night with your stomper against the Tennessee stud is that that match will now be for the Southeastern Championship. Oh, yeah. I bet he was delighted to hear that. Oh, boy. And so was the studio. They exploded in one way, and he exploded in another. And so did the Stomper. And they stormed out of the empty Studio B. That was the end of them. They would just, they went running. You know, and so the cameras returned to the set. And uh, Rob held up his head, had handcuffs, and he let him kind of swing in his hand. And I looked in the camera and said, uh, see you Friday night in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium, punks. <laughs> that was the end of the dang interview and the end of the show, man. Well, you knew you definitely knew how to build it up, so you were obviously set for a huge audience every week throughout the Southeast. So fans never knew what was going to be happening, and this was another great situation just like that. So what did happen the following Friday night? Well, Roy Lee Welch, uh, he made his biggest mark yet. And uh, in the first match of the night, uh, Dutch Mantel uh, was making his first appearance in more than a year, close to two years. And uh, and since it was the first match of the card, and uh, he didn't know much about Roy Lee, he pretty much totally dominated the match. I went and watched it. I like to watch these Roy Lee matches. It was really amazing to me what was going on. And uh, at one point, he had Roy down so bad that he even pulled his shoulders up off the mat at the count of two rather than go ahead and beat him. And then he got up and he dragged Roy off the mat up onto his feet and he reached and got Roy's hand and he raised it up in the air, like in mock victory, like, you know, mm-hmm. look, here, here he is, here's your winner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he turned his head, man, turned his head around toward the crowd behind him to make sure everybody knew that he was the better man, he was in total control, mm-hmm. and he was about to finish Roy Lee. And uh, that's all poor old Roy Lee needed, man. That twist of Mantell's body. Uh-uh. You know, when he looked around there celebrating his upcoming victory uh, with the crowd behind him, uh, 
Right. He put himself in the perfect position for Roy's abdominal stretch and Roy hooked him, man, right there in the middle <laughs> of the race. And, uh, you know, and, and the fans, man, they had just about given up on Roy this time, you know, because Dutch had been so dominating. But when he hooked that abdominal stretch, they exploded, man. It, it was that much louder because, uh, you know, they, they'd kind of given up on him. But, uh, when he suddenly got his hold, man, they were, gosh, they were huge Roy Lee Welch fans then. And, uh, and Dutch fought it, man. He didn't he didn't just give up right away. He fought that uh, abdominal stretch for at least a minute. Uh, you know, I thought, surely he's going to get away. And then finally, after a minute, he gave up. And boy, that building rose to their feet, man. I was blown away in the back watching it. I mean, first matches on any card. They, they were never meant to steal the show, and something remarkable was happening between Roy Lee Welch and the Southeastern fans. Wow. Uh, Ricky Gibson, man, in the second match, got a big win over the ever-improving Jerry Stubbs. And uh, Ricky used a sleeper hole, which uh, he was very, very good at. And uh, he put uh, Jerry Stubbs to sleep. Uh, but Jerry was really, really becoming a great worker. Uh, Robert beat the Aussie lesson legend himself, old Al Costello, uh, but it was a great match, and he had a hard time doing it. And the match between the the pro and Tony Charles was another classic, man. If, and this one was if Tony lost, uh, his head would be shaved, and that's what it appeared was going to happen in this match. For the first time in the series of matches they'd had, and I think they'd had five matches out of six weeks in a row against each other, this time, the pro was the stronger of the two, obviously. And when less than a minute to go in the 30-minute, in a 32-minute time limit match, the pro finally got his sleeper hole for the first time ever on Tony Charles. And the crowd, man, was on their feet, urging Tony, man, to fight it. crowd loved Tony Charles. And, boy, he did. He fought that sleeper hole, man. And the ref was raising Tony's hand above his head two or three times to see if he was still un. He is still conscious as the announcer counted down the last 10 seconds. Uh, he could not, he, he, Tony had that hand up there and he didn't drop it. Uh, the bell rang and the pro failed, uh, you know, and to put him out before the time expired. The fans celebrated the fact that Tony was going to keep his curly hair and he did have some nice thick curly hair. <laughs> so Southeastern tag title match that night was tremendous. Uh, champions Joe LaDuke and Bob Armstrong, they had their hands full with maybe one of the best Southeastern tag teams of all time. Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Warden Jr., man, no doubt about that. This night, it came down to the man outside the ring, Garvin and Orton's manager, Al Costello. He passed something to Mr. Knoxville that he used to knock Armstrong unconscious, and the rest was Southeastern history, man. Uh, he got the pin. And, uh, and Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. regained their tag belts in their very first return match after losing them. So they had only been non-champions for a week. So the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium was totally stunned. I mean, you couldn't hear a sound in there. No one expected that to happen. And then that same crowd, they came prepared for the stomper in the main event. Uh, and it didn't matter uh, why they were not in the amphitheater, you know. Uh, in fact, the baseball stadium had a roof over the grandstands. 
And uh, that made the noise even louder because all those people up in those grandstands were shouting toward the ring. And rather than in the amphitheater, the sound going up in the air, it went straight out toward the ring. So it was a it was a worse situation for the stomper than usual. And fans brought their air horns again, their pots and pans, their loudest voices, and they brought their determination to torment the stomper, man, in the, in the baseball stadium. Wow. By golly, they certainly did that. They did that for sure. So Rob was handcuffed to Gorgeous George Jr. before the match started. And when the bell rang to begin the match, you couldn't hear yourself think, man. I mean, those fans were just waiting on the bell to ring. The noise was just deafening. And the stomper was unable to handle it. Every time he got a little bit of the upper hand, the crowd took control again, man. And then I managed to get one of the easiest Southeastern Championship victories in history. The GG was kept under control by my brother. And when it was over, the stomper ran for the dugout. His hands were over his ears. As Bell told the end of his current reign, the Southeastern Champion. Wow, it sounds like another incredible night for the fans. So you had to do really good in the baseball stadium. On Friday, September second of seventy-seven, Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. How did you? How did you do? Well, you know, there was a lot of things going on here, you know, and uh, so we had more than four thousand for this event, and it was on the first Friday in September of nineteen seventy-seven. And uh, I kind of want to put this number of fans uh, reported here in perspective. You know, uh, it was. 3,000 fans bigger than the average baseball crowd, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they weren't doing good at all. And, you know, we had – it was – they would have considered that. It would have been by far the biggest crowd of the season for them. Uh, and that was the – you know, that was three times more fans uh, for the, came to the wrestling than there came to an average baseball game. And uh, let's go back to the first year after I got there. And we had to go to Bill Meyer Stadium. It's in September every year. And uh, we're having to compete with the fair. Now, bear, mm-hmm. bear in mind, the fair, one of the big events for all cities. Yep. It's in there two Friday nights in a row. So in 1975, the first year that I started Southeastern, and we went to this baseball stadium, we drew less than 2,000 fans. Uh, a year later, 1976, we drew more than 3,000 fans. So the 4,000-plus fans uh, in the worst month of the year, which September was traditionally for wrestling, uh, with the fair in town, with changing venues, going from uh, the park to the baseball stadium, Mm -hmm. and in a baseball stadium that was dilapidated and and in a bad part of the city, we managed to draw the largest crowd in that stadium in years. Wow. And see, that's that's still a pretty Im- impressive feat, Stud. So, had this event been in the Coliseum or the Amphitheater, it would have certainly, I think, been over five thousand at least. So, this is that's been a great stud cast, Ron. This has been really cool. I don't think we have time for the learning trees you mentioned earlier. And next week, we can get to the today's training and the learning tree. We'll get that back on next week as well. And by the way, you wanted to say a few words about the great dinner. With the stud event, it's happening Wednesday night, October 13th of 2021. Not far away, less than a month away. Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, thanks for reminding me, Dave. Uh, 
you know, uh, uh, this thing is really taking off, man. Uh, you know, this is – I just want to explain to fans out there again, if you're anywhere around the Knoxville area in Tennessee, North Carolina – Kentucky, we're getting people out of Kentucky and uh, people out of uh, Georgia. You know, uh, this is a two-hour free buffet dinner with the stud. It's at one of the most famous restaurants in the country, Calhoun's on the River in Knoxville, Tennessee, just within uh, a touchdown pass of the Neyland Stadium. And, uh, you know, and it's going to be a big night, man. In addition to the free dinner uh, that I'm going to give fans, fans will also get Two free autograph photos, one of me and one of Les Thatcher. And they're going to get to spend some time with our special guest, Jimmy Golan. The three of us are going to greet every one of these guests when they arrive. And we're going to make sure we shake hands with everybody that comes and have a, uh, hopefully have a little time to speak with them. And they're also going to get to be a part of the first ever live studcast, followed by a question and answer hour with those that are in tenants. And uh, there are going to be some door prizes in the cash bar. And it's all oh. going to be recorded and it's going to be shown back later on the YouTube channel. Mm. Mm. I've never done one of these days, but, uh, you know, I've always wanted to do something special for the fans. And by, God, by golly, I think this is a start. This is a good place to start. And uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, uh, I want to thank all of you that have already purchased your tickets. Uh, you just reserve them. And uh and I appreciate it. I think it's a real good place to start, especially since you mentioned uh, a buffet and a cash bar. So, uh, listen, I wish I could be there for this. This is going to be a ton of fun. Tickets are only $30, and you get the free dinner and two 8 by 10 autographed pictures to go with that as well. That is a $30 value alone. To reserve your seat, go to Ron's website, tnstud.com, T in stud.com click on stud store and have an unforgettable night on the tennessee stud ron fuller and that is going to be a ton of fun on the river right nearby neyland stadium all right folks on facebook to become friends with ron please go to his ron fuller the tennessee stud page or author Ron Fuller Welch page and simply follow him on either of those pages and automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, it's Ron Fuller Welch. Please visit the stud store at tnstud.com. All kinds of souvenirs available there. And don't forget to take a horror ride with the stud's famous lion, lion Brutus. I'm talking like an African lion. So this is this is really cool. Find out why it has more than 50 five-star reviews on Amazon.com under Brutus Novel. Get the novel there, or you can also get it at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store and look for Brutus. You can also get the special autograph copy by the stud himself. Only $29.99, and that will include shipping and handling. The Studcast, and let's mention this again. We said this at the top of the show. It is a very valuable commodity, as you can imagine. And, of course, it's coveted by other podcast companies. Therefore, the Stud has decided to make some changes by taking control independently of his own podcast. And beginning next Tuesday, one week from today, next Tuesday, September 21st, 2021 look for episode number 217 that's going to be the key look for episode number 217 wherever you find 
your studcast, including iTunes. Let me, uh, can I interrupt? Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Make sure that I would be able to find it. You, you would go to the same place that you've been going, basically, yeah, right? Yeah. Fans will go to uh, basically uh, Ron Fuller's studcast. Yeah. And they'll look for number 217. And, uh, and that's where all of them are going to be from this, from this point on. Correct. Yes. Right and, yes. That. And you 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 might see a new logo as well. And uh, if you do, you know exactly which one you're going to use. Can you describe it? What what is going to yeah, look the, like? Yeah, I think uh, yes. There's going to be a red uh, Tennessee stud logo. It says the Tennessee stud. It's a picture of me in a red robe, and it's a lot of fiery red color in that logo. And uh, it should be easy for fans to spot. And if they have some problems. They can always uh, go to my YouTube pages. Uh, uh, they can go to uh, the uh, Facebook, Twitter, yep. uh, and, uh, and and let me know, and uh, we'll help you find it. Absolutely. Again, you're looking for episode number 217. You'll find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and, of course, again, tnstud.com, and tons of other podcast locations in the next couple of weeks, including next week as well. All right, so that's a lot to talk about, a lot to remember, and we'll be reminding you as we get closer on some of the other uh, events that we have going on. All right, so, Ron, tell us where we're riding next week. Well, we're going to have a visit from uh, the world junior heavyweight champion, Nelson Roy, uh, because now I'm the southeastern champion, and uh, he thinks that he's man enough to take me, and he wants to be, I think, probably the first junior heavyweight champion of the world to become the heavyweight NWA champion of the world. <laughs> so I'm going to be wrestling Nelson Royal in a most unusual match, junior heavyweight versus heavyweight for the belt. And another today's training is going to be next week. And obviously we'll be back and doing the learning tree and uh, much more. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening, as always. And uh, please tell your friends about us, obviously. And take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. Hey, God bless you too, Stud. For Ron Fuller in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains. <laughs>